0: Hello everyone, welcome to community. My name is Aaron, and I will be reading today's scripture, which is John eleven forty five 45 to 57. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 844. Chapter 11, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is God's word.
1: Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you really are better than life. You're, you're the best thing that we have. You, you give us meaning. You give us hope you encourage us, you protect us. And we just want to trust you each and every day to walk in that. And as you give us the grace and the strength that we need, that we would walk in a way that is just fully pleasing to you. I just pray now that as, as we turn our attention to your word, that your spirit might be here to teach us, to guide us in truth. Challenge us, encourage us, convict us, that we might be made more into your image. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, last week, I suppose you could say we were left with a little bit of a with, with a cliffhanger of sorts. We we studied the healing or the raising of Lazarus, this dead man uh, from the grave. It's it's probably the most significant miracle that Jesus has done up, and, up until this point. I mean, a dead man has come to life. But how would the people respond? I mean, we kind of just left it there. You know, Jesus said, unbind him, okay? How are they going to respond to this? I mean, this is irrefutable evidence. I mean, do they accept Jesus? Do they believe that he is the long-awaited-for Messiah? Or they just look past it, make excuses, find some reason to not believe so that they can carry on with their life as is? Have you ever been faced with making a decision based on the evidence that is presented to you that will have an impact for your life? Maybe something that you have believed to be true your whole entire life, but now it's just being brought into question. I think you'll agree with me that at the end of the day, it's it's not easy to change long held beliefs, no matter how strong the evidence might seem. Kind of feels like you're you're giving up control. Uh, our church in Milan would do some outreaches in, in a part that was nearby where we met Nothing really special, to be honest with you. Just a group of 15 or so of us would go down to the park. We would sing some songs. Somebody brought their guitar along with them. Uh, the Italian pastor would would present a simple evangelistic message. Uh, and then we would just try to engage people in conversations. And people, for the most part, were pretty, pretty receptive. One Sunday afternoon as we were doing that, Amy and I got to, got to speaking with an elder, elderly lady there. And she was... Very interested in, in what we had to say. And so we really uh, found her very engaging. It was kind of, kind of, kind of neat. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way. And of course, she was a, she was a Catholic. And so we, we talked a little bit about the differences of beliefs and just different things. And we, you know, most of all, we were just trying to present the gospel to this lady. Um, we get done with the whole conversation, and she said something that was just quite perplexing to me, to, to Amy. But she says, you know, but even if I know for a certain 100% absolutely sure that what you're saying is true, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change my beliefs. And she says it was because she was too old. But is there something else going on there? What do we do when we're just faced with such evidence before us? Do we change? I mean, what, how do these people respond to the raising of Lazarus from the dead? The passage before us, I'll admit, is pretty pointed. It reveals to us the true nature of unbelief. that The mask, as it were, is, it is stripped away, and we see it for what it is. Irrational, fearful, and in this case, downright murderous. These religious leaders go to great lengths to deny Jesus, just like that lady in the park. They refuse to change their long-held beliefs. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to, to listen to this passage two times. And in the first time through, I want us to hear the gong of the death knell of unbelief. Yeah, you, you know that familiar sound, maybe you've seen it on TV or in movies or something, but that's just that gong, gong that maybe you would hear when, at a funeral or something like that. It's just an ominous monotone sound that comes out. And I think we, we hear that, that, that same gong of unbelief in this passage. And so with each gong, I want us to, to look at a different aspect of unbelief as we see it evidence in, this, in, in the light that shines down on unbelief. But the second listening, we want to hear the sweet melody of the gospel. It, it's maybe more like a, a handbell choir. I like handbell choirs. Maybe you don't, so just think of something else. But it's just, it's just there's just, you know, it, it's the orchestra. There's, there's lots of notes, lots of chords, lots of complexity that's there. So while this passage does expose unbelief, we hear the gospel loud and clear in it as well. So let's, let's consider these gongs of the, of the death knell of unbelief. And this first gong we see in verse 46, because you know, John starts off with these verses saying that there are some that believe. But in verse 46, we see that there are some people who had witnessed this great miracle and they run off and tell the Pharisees. It seems most likely that John is presenting this in a negative light. I mean, because kind of all throughout the gospel, we see that there's always this division between those who believe and those who don't believe. Like, you know, what are we going to do with Jesus? We got to decide here. So once again, we kind of see that there's just this division. But this time, those who don't believe run off to tell the Pharisees, kind of like, almost like they're going to tattletale, if you will. Now, perhaps this first gong starts off a little muzzled, but the second gong is loud and clear. In verses 47 and 48, we see a deliberate rejection of Jesus on the part of the Pharisees and the chief priests. They ask, what what are we to do? What are we going to do about this? Wouldn't it be great if this was a sincere question? Like, What are we going to do? We've messed up. This is the Messiah. We need to get everybody on board. But no, that's not why they're asking the question. They want to know what they need to do so that they can stop this wave of belief that is sweeping over the people. They're scared that everyone's going to believe. But it's interesting to note here what they say. What are we going to do for this man performs many signs? They're they're not denying the signs that Jesus did. They're, They're not here trying to say, well, we really need to explain that Lazarus wasn't dead. We really need to explain that Jesus didn't really turn the water into wine. That he didn't heal the blind man like they say he did. They're not denying it. They recognize that what he did was was from God. And yet they deliberately choose to go against that. To not believe. I suppose... It it would be similar, let's just come up with a, a fictitious story here, that that if you come to me and you offer me a house because you, you know that I'm living under a bridge and I, I have nothing, I'm in great need. And so you come and say, look, I, this is something I do, I, I provide housing for those who need it. No strings attached here. You, you can have this house. And, of course, I'm skeptical. Yeah, right. You know, nothing in this world's free. You're, you're wanting something out of it. And so I run off. I, I do my homework. And I find out who, this, who you are. And is this really true? Maybe I Google your name and all this kind of stuff. Come back and really realize you know, this, this, this is like, like, like you say it is. You, you provide housing free of charge. No strings attached. You don't ask anything. You kind of disappear from people's lives after that. You just you, you help them. So I come back to you and I say, no, thanks. Doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, why would I do that? It doesn't make sense what the Pharisees are doing here. Why Why not believe? You're not even denying it. It's a deliberate choice that they're making to rest in their unbelief. When you walk away from Jesus and you choose not to believe, please understand that you do so despite a mountain of evidence that points in the opposite direction. Consider the evidence. Take a look at Jesus. This gong of of a deliberate rejection of Jesus is loud and clear in this passage. A third gong of the death knell that we hear alerts us to the the motive of their rejection. Like, why are they rejecting Jesus? We are kind of confused at this point. It doesn't make sense. Why why are you rejecting Jesus? Well, we we come to the reason. Look, Look in verse 48. They say... If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now this word place probably refers to the temple. That's the way it's used in other parts of the New Testament. So they're going going to come and take away our, our, our temple and our nation. But what's interesting is to note what they don't say here. They don't say The Romans are going to come and destroy our temple, destroy our nation. They say, the Romans are going to come and take away our place from us. Take away our nations. In other words, the the prime motive is that they, the, the religious leaders of Israel, are going to lose their position. They're going to lose it all. The status quo was going to be interrupted if Jesus is not stopped and stopped immediately. They have a lot to lose. And so this is the whole reason that that this council has been assembled. And this council is the Sanhedrin, which is the highest court in Israel at the time. The Romans had granted uh, to the Jews, that you can have this, this council, you can rule yourselves, as long as you maintain order. Now, we know in, in history that the Romans were not scared to kind of swoop in and, and get rid of the high priest if, if order wasn't being maintained. So they would come and get rid of that high priest, put, a, put another one in there, get some new, new leadership uh, in place in order that order could be maintained. So, you can imagine these religious leaders are really living on a razor's edge. I mean, on the one hand, they, they want to please the people. But on the other hand, they know that they need to behave and, and, and please the Romans. Because if not, they're going to lose it all. They wanted to maintain their position of authority, they had a vested interest in maintaining the status quo, turning to Jesus would change everything for them. So there's this gong of, of the people running off to tell the Pharisees. There's, there's the gong of the utter and deliberate rejection of Jesus and this decision that is fueled by their desire to not lose their position. And then comes this fourth gong. It's the gong of a, of a solution Proposed. The high priest has a bright idea. I think I know how we can get out of this. And he starts off chiding the other people. Yeah, you you know nothing at all. Spoiler alert. It's really him, the the high priest, that didn't know anything at all. But we'll we'll come to that in a second. But his solution is, is to kill Jesus. I mean, why should they risk their lives when just one person could die? He says, when one person could die for the people. Here we really see the murderous nature of unbelief. It will go to the extreme to maintain the status quo. it will go to the extreme to reject Jesus. And then there's this final gong, the final death knell of unbelief. The decision is made to put Jesus to death. So so the solution was proposed. The council says, vote yes. We accept it. This is the solution. Let's go for it. Let's put him to death. And make no mistake about it. There is a resolve in this. From that day forward, they, you could translate it, they, they resolved to put Jesus to death. So this, get the picture here. I mean, the Supreme High Court has just issued a verdict. Guilty, here's your punishment, death. What's missing in that? The trial. <laughs> There's no trial. They've already come to the decision. They've arrived at the point before even considering the evidence, before even anything. So the, so the, so the trial that we do see later in the gospel is just, it's just a farce. It's just a cover. So those are the gongs of unbelief that just reverberate through this passage. But before moving on to listen to the melody of the gospel that we hear in this passage, let's, let's, let's reflect a little bit about what's going on. And as I was reading this passage, it it struck me that what we see these religious leaders doing is what Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. And just just to sum up with what Paul says in in Romans chapter 1, is that the, the, the bottom line is that despite the evidence of God all around us, what do we do? We, we suppress it. We, we suppress that truth. We, we, we suppress that knowledge. The very nature of God is on full display all around us. Right? We just kind of know it. I mean, you, you intuitively know it. You go to the mountains. You, you're, you're out on the, on, on the seashore, and you're watching these waves just come in. You, you consider deep space. You look in the microscopic universe. You just somehow you know deep in it. There's a God. He's there. We are without excuse, Paul says. But what do we do? We suppress it. And instead of worshiping the creator, we worship creation. We we distort reality. We don't want to change our long-held beliefs, no matter how strong the evidence is. I mean, isn't that really what the Pharisees and the religious leaders are doing in this passage? Despite acknowledging that the signs that Jesus are doing come from God, they they, they suppress it. They hold it down. The the raising of Lazarus, again, is is no small miracle. He's been dead four days. They they were scared that when they took the stone away, it was going to stink up the place. What, What do you do with that? Are you going to accept it and believe it, or just continue to suppress it? Pastor Tony talks about suppressing, like trying to get that beach ball and hold it down underwater. Maybe like you did when you were a kid. No, you did that when you were an adult, if you're like me. Every time I go swimming, I try to do that, right? And what happens when you let go? Boo! It comes right back up. And see, the thing about suppressing truth is that you you have to keep doing it. Because when you don't, that truth is just going to come back up. It pops out. And like Pastor Tony says, it's, it's exhausting. Unbelief is exhausting. Just that continual. Suppress, suppress, suppress. Dear friend, if, if, if you're here today and you're not a believer, I, I encourage you. Let, let the beach ball up. Let the truth come out. Embrace the gospel, the glorious truth of the gospel. Let it come, come up. It's worthy of you embracing it. And so let's listen to the, to the beautiful melody of the gospel that we hear in this passage as well. And the, and the first bright note of triumph is right there in verse 45. Many of the Jews believed. Many believed. You know, these are people who had come with Mary and, and they had seen. Or, or better yet, they, they perceived that what Jesus did. They, they understood. Let's put it this way. The light bulb came on. And they saw in that way. This is the real deal. This is the Messiah. And the response is rational. They, they, they believed. They were astonished. They were amazed. Many of them believed. That is encouraging. Be encouraged by that word, many. May the Lord do that amongst us. Another chord, if you will, that we hear in this gospel music being played is, again, that there are many signs that point to the truth of Jesus. And I know, I've already talked about that, so I don't want to belabor it again. But, you know, the Pharisees aren't denying it. There's, there's a mountain of evidence here. I mean, you can look back through history, and there's, it, it's, a, it's amazing how many people have really kind of put this to the test. Say, I'm, I'm going to do an investigation. I'm going to really say, okay, is Jesus who he said he is? Is the Bible true? And they do that investigation, and they come out going. This is it. This is a real thing. I mean, and if you want some resources for that, well, well, number one, yes, the Bible. But there's also, think of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Think of uh, Tim Keller's Reasons for God. To to, to search those things out. Look to Jesus. And third, we, we hear the gospel music. Yes, through, through the many who believe, through these signs. But, but thirdly, we, we hear it through the high priest, Caiaphas. Kind of ironic, isn't it? This is, let's say, the final crescendo, if you will. And, and Caiaphas, what he says in this passage, he says it from that motive of, of protecting his position. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to lose his position. But John lets us know that really, Caiaphas... You, you don't know what you're saying here. You have no clue. Look, look again in verse 51 and 52. This is what John says. That Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also together into one, the children of God, who were scattered among the earth. Yes, Jesus was going to die for the people, but that death was as a substitute for the people. I mean this is the very heart of the gospel. Jesus has died for us. He is taking our sins upon him. He has represented us before the Father. Hey, if I could just put this idea of what's happening in my own words and what I would say to Caiaphas, if you will, I would say this, Mr. High Priest, what you just said is true, but not in the way that you think it is. In what you said, we find the gospel. Jesus, the great high priest, the better high priest, is going to die the death that you and I deserve. He's going to die in our place for our sins. He's going to enter into the Holy of Holies in heaven, offer his blood on the heavenly altar once and for all. And to top it off, this sacrifice is not only for the Jewish nation, but for the whole world. Salvation is offered to all. And that's a change for these religious leaders to grapple with. The Gentiles too? Really? It's not easy to change our long-held beliefs. But it's so much better. It's so much better. And again, if you were here this morning, you've never, you've never listened to this, the, the melody of the gospel, I invite you to do so. Come to Jesus. Allow Him to set you free, to forgive you of your sins, to give you eternal life. And if you are a believer... I want to invite you to continue to listen to the gospel music. Don't stop. Fan your faith into a flame that it might burn brighter and brighter each and every day. We, see, we, we got to be careful here. we got to be careful. Because it's easy to read verses like this and just go, Man, those Pharisees, they just don't get it. I don't understand. Why, why would they not believe? Shame on them. Are we really that different from them? I mean, look at what the religious leaders are, are doing. They're scared. They're worried that they're going to lose everything. Everyone is going to believe in Jesus, they said, and, and, and then the Romans are going to come in. They're going to take it all away from us. And they don't trust that the Lord will work all things out. It's just a lack of faith. It's, it's unbelief. And so, what is the fruit of their unbelief? Well, they, they try to control everything. I, I, I got to do it. See, they trust in their own control instead of trusting in the Lord's control. Control. It's, it's a level of doubt there. It's a level of unbelief. What, when we are anxious and worried, how do we respond? When we're in a similar situation, how, how do we respond? Well, I'll just tell on myself here, okay? But oftentimes, I respond by trying to control everything. Just like them. I got to do it. See, that, that shadow of unbelief just comes back into my life. Just last week, or I guess two weeks ago now, Amy and I had to go back to Italy to renew our our residence permits. Why, you might ask? Very good question. (laughs) Um, Don't quite know, but all I know (laughs) is that... (laughs) um, also know is that as we were buying the house, uh, the notary says, hey, you know, pay attention. Don't, don't let these resident cards expire. You know, make sure you keep them up. And so every two years, we have to go and we have to renew our residence permits. Pretty unful, un, un, uneventful, quite frankly. It's just, you know, we, we do all the paperwork. We go into the meeting and they fingerprint us and all this kind of stuff and we leave. And another four weeks later, we get the cards in, you know. But as we were preparing to go back, I remembered. Oh yeah, I've got to have all the original documents that we presented in, in the application. Well, I mean that was we did this back in April, okay, the beginning of April, maybe end of March. So we moved, ac- you know, across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it's in a box somewhere. I have no idea. So I think of one place that it could be. I go and I look in that box, and I find. One of the two documents that I need. Well, this sends me into a tailspin. What am I going to do? What if they ask for that other document too? Now, just as a side note, I don't, maybe one other time, but they never asked for the original documents, just so you know, okay? (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm panicking. I don't know what to do. I have no idea. So I'm looking on my computer. Did I scan the documents before I submitted it? Um, I'm Googling what to do if you don't have this document. You know how to get the residence cards. I'm just going and going and going, and I don't know how long a little bit of time has elapsed. And finally, I have to say, stop! Just stop! What are you doing? What are you doing, Ron? Do you not believe that the Lord who has provided for you your whole life will not provide in this situation? You see how that unbelief just kind of comes creeping back in? I mean, I know it. I believe it. But yet, in the practical sense, it's not there. I mean, yes. You can see how you cross the line, right? I mean, you're going and there's a wise preparation of all the documents that are needed. Fine. But boy, I just go down into the rabbit hole. What am I going to do? I have to believe God in those moments that God will provide. And even if I don't get the residence permits, it's okay. He'll provide another way. It's okay. God is faithful. And my own life is a testimony to that. He's trustworthy. I needed to believe Him. By the way, (laughs) we went to the appointment. And wouldn't you know it, they asked me for the original documents. But, Only for the one that I found. (laughs) And that afternoon, we were called to come into the real estate agent's office. And we were offered a proposal on our house that we accepted. So, I mean... Talk about the Lord's provision in all of these things. But you see how easy it is for that unbelief just to creep into our lives just on a daily basis? So if I just stop and I read this passage and I just point the finger at those rascals, the Pharisees, I kind of miss a little bit of my own heart and what I'm prone to. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Let's keep listening to the sweet music of the gospel. Fight that shadow of unbelief on a daily basis because we can stand with confidence that our Savior is trustworthy. I'm going to invite the team to come back up as we close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we we do need... Your grace to be at work in our lives each and every day. That unbelief can just creep back in. I mean, even though, Lord, I think we would say that we do believe that you are good and that your purposes are perfect, your will is perfect. Putting that into practice, Lord, sometimes just exposes the unbelief that is in our heart. So may we walk in faith each and every day, empowered by your grace. And Lord, if there be someone here this morning that doesn't know you, may may they place their faith in you. Give them that desire. In Jesus' name, amen.